0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. It seems to be one of these sort of universally accepted ideas that having high self-esteem is something that's really important, really valuable in life. Today, I want to kind of give us an idea as to why I think that might be a myth. Uh, we're looking at the book of Proverbs, we're looking at this concept of pride and humility and I want to just take us on a little bit of a journey through that. Um, you know when Steve asked me if I wanted to preach on humility I said to him, I genuinely did do this, he didn't appreciate it, I said Steve I can think of no one better to preach on humility than me. Uh, at which point he said, if you do that again, you'll not be allowed to preach. So I'm not going to do it again. I'm just going to do it this once. But nonetheless, we're talking about humility today. Um, if, if we think about this concept of pride and humility, I think we'd, if we went round and, and asked everybody, what do you think of pride? Do you think pride is a good thing? I think most people go, no, pr- pride, is, pride is a bad idea. We don't like uh, people that we perceive to be pride we don't like what we perceive to be arrogance uh, let, let me tell you a quick story on that front um, uh, we, we were in uh, my, my previous church I was on the staff team there and uh, one time we had a group of people come in and they wanted to just pray over us and give us like a little bit of kind of encouragement but a prophetic encouragement see if they felt anything from God uh, and so they prayed uh, over us and in front of all the staff team, two of them, this was this was beautiful, two of them had a word about me going to the gym. They'd obviously noticed I'd been working out. So I was feeling very smug about this. Um, about, about a year later then, we had another group come in and do a kind of similar thing, except that instead of having the whole staff team, they broke us up into different groups. So I was reminding everybody of kind of the previous year when this group had been in, and essentially Jesus told me that I was shredded. And I really appreciated it. I was just casually reminding them of this. And they come to me, and uh, they, they come to our group, and, and they start to pray for us. Um, and they come to me, and, and the first guy goes, and he genuinely did this, He's, he goes... I was looking at you and the first thing I noticed was your muscles. And this was just, this was like the smuggest moment of my entire life. I genuinely, honestly, I stopped him praying. I stood up. I started trying to give everybody high fives. For some reason, they didn't want to give me high fives back. I didn't appreciate that. But nonetheless, this was like my, my absolute, one of the top moments of my life. I would say it was, you know, being born, uh, getting married, having a son, and then getting prophesied over that I had been to the gym. It was great. It was just such a beautiful moment for me. Anyway, managed to continue with the prayer and uh, he, he continues and he goes, uh, so I saw you in the gym and you were the smallest person in there. At which point all the rest of the staff team and the group that I was in all stood up and started high-fiving each other and fist bumping each other all in a way that they hadn't done for me. And to be honest, it was one of the worst moments of my life. It went from pure smug to pure humiliation in one moment. We don't, we don't tend to like pride, we don't tend to like arrogance, and I would call that fover confidence. I was only joking. But nonetheless, we don't tend to like it. We tend to like it when proud people get taken down a peg or two. However, if we talked about the concept of self esteem, because that's kind of the angle I want to go at. That is like a super popular concept in today's world. It's one of those things that we just agree this is really wonderful. And we build our society around this idea of, of protecting and building up self esteem in a way that, that is slightly new to our time. Um, And so we have things where, you know, everybody gets a prize and and nobody necessarily, you know, should feel in any way left out, in any way that they're not as skilled or gifted or talented as everybody else. And we tend to think that self-esteem is one of these, like, really wonderful things that we need to have. Um, Interestingly, I was reading a book um, called The Coddling of the American Mind by a guy called Jonathan Haidt. Not a Christian book, but nonetheless, it looks at this concept And what it's discovered is that as we've tried to sort of protect everybody's self-esteem, what's actually happened is we've grown up with a generation who are more emotionally fragile than any previous generation. Just there's, there, because we're constantly protecting people, because we're constantly uh, building up self-esteem, anything that knocks people, just it, it, it causes them to crack. We've we become emotionally fragile through this idea of this sort of movement of self-esteem. Now, now at the same time... Um, low self-esteem is not exactly something that we would say is great. Like, like low self-esteem carries all of these problems with it um, that that are different problems, but still a bunch of problems. So, you know, it's connected to depression, anxiety, and substance abuse, and all of these sorts of things. And let's be honest, if we as a church had somebody who just made it their job to, you know, in our congregation to lower everybody's self-esteem, we'd say, look, could you please leave? Because that's not helpful. We don't want you doing that. And so we, what I think we find is that we find ourselves in life Um, as mankind, I think this gets to something actually about the human condition. I think this gets to something about how we view ourselves. And I think we are wrestling with a picture of self. We are wrestling with this idea of how do we view ourselves rightly? Like, because high self-esteem doesn't really seem to work the way we think it should. Low self-esteem doesn't seem to work uh, the way we think it should. And we end up going, well, how do we view ourselves? What is our self-image? What is that base on where, where does our esteem lie? And we tend to go into like one of two ditches. So we go overconfident or we go way underconfident. We end up going, you know, that we're either trying to make everybody in the world a slave to us or make ourselves slaves to everything that is happening in our world. So what do we do about our self-esteem issue? Because it is an issue. How do we view ourselves rightly? I would say that the Bible gives us a profound paradigm shifting view of how we should view ourselves. I think scripture does this and I want to tie it into Proverbs and I want to tie it into this idea of pride and humility. Um, so, so in Proverbs here, we have a bunch of Proverbs. I'm going to do a quick fire reading of a few Proverbs here on pride and humility. Then I'm going to give you the Jamie Bambrick version of it. Okay, so Proverbs 22 verse four says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 11.2 says when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 29.23 says one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 16.18, pride, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Finally, Proverbs 3.34, toward the scorners, that is the pride, he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. So, so uh, the Jamie Bamberg version of this, Summarizing, this is, this is profound, you'll love this. Summarizing what Proverbs says here is that pride is bad and humility is good. You can write that down. That is a free bit of information for you. Pride is bad and humility is good. But I think this leads us to ask another question, which is, well, what is Pride. What is pride? Because, um, you know, we often classify it as like arrogance. So you think of pride and you think of certain celebrities. I'm not going to mention any names. I I had to think about this. I thought that the only suitable one would be one who's fictional, which is Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny, super arrogant, bad role model for kids. Okay, I'm not going to have a dig at any other celebrities, but you know who they are. And you know the celebrities that you think are arrogant, right? We tend to imagine that that is pride. but But actually, the Bible doesn't necessarily give that definition of pride. Um, Actually, the Bible seems to disconnect pride and personality type in a way that that is um, contrary to what our normal thinking would be. So, so for instance, if you look at the person of Jesus, super confident, super brash, super out there, and yet absolutely humble. So what is pride? Because it has to be more than a personality type. It's about more than that. Here's what, according to Scripture, pride is. Pride is putting yourself at the center. Pride is when you make yourself the focus of your life. Pride is whenever everything sort of revolves around, shifts around, shapes around you and who you are and what you're getting out of it. And that can manifest itself in like a wide variety of ways and in a wide variety of personality types. So so it could look like, you know, um, uh, being someone who is super quiet, it it can look like that because it could all be about protecting you and shielding you from hurt. Um, Alternatively, it could be someone who's kind of loud and out there and a bit in your face and that person could be proud. Both of those personality types, neither of them say that you're definitely proud or definitely humble, but both of them have the potential to be. And so I want to ask you a question today. I want to ask you this, are you proud are you proud? Are you the epicenter of your own life? Does everything revolve around you? Is it all about you? And it doesn't matter if that manifests itself in kind of like a, like a I'm, I'm up here and everybody else is down there, or it's all about me just shielding myself from this world. It doesn't matter what end of the personality spectrum it's on, it's the pride spectrum that matters. Proverbs goes further. Proverbs is, is one of these books It's all built around this paradigm of wisdom and foolishness. That's kind of the whole shift in, or the whole um, division of worldview is you either are, are wise or you are foolish. And, and Proverbs would say, do you know what? If you're proud, you're foolish. You're foolish if you're a proud person. So what, what that means is, is that, that pride is this insanely irrational idea Pride makes no sense. Pride is nonsensical. Pride pride is is something that does does not line up with fact or reality. And it is this mixture of of sort of, you know, uh, uh, like sinfulness and idiocy in one moment. That is what Proverbs would say that pride is. Pride is foolish. Now, why is that the case? Why why is pride one of these things that, uh, that Proverbs would describe as being foolish? Well, it comes back to this. I'm going to look at the book of James here because James is kind of like a New Testament version of Proverbs almost. It's wisdom literature in a similar way that Proverbs would be. And what it would say is, I'll read us a passage here, but what it would say is, do you know what? The real essence of why pride is a problem is because it's about who you're comparing yourself to. It feels very natural if we only look at humanity that we should be the center of our own lives. But James, I think, gives us something else here. It puts that in context. And what it does is it says to us, how do you compare to God? How do you compare to God? Pride is foolish because God is God and you are not. And I'm going to read this here, James 4, verse 13 to 16. It says this, Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city. We're going to spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live to do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So, So, in in terms of who should be the centre of your life, it it depends what you're comparing it to. But if you're comparing yourself to God, you realise the foolishness of this. Let, Let me unpack just a couple of moments here from James. One of the things it says is that God knows a lot and you know very little by comparison. Uh, many of us we, we think we know uh, what's going to happen tomorrow and, and james here isn't saying like don't have a diary don't have a planner don't have a you know 10 year plan anything like that he's not criticizing plans what he's criticizing is being presumptuous about your plans assuming that you can kind of you know absolutely know for sure what's going to happen like if I ask you, how many of you know what's going, what you're going to have for lunch or what your next meal is going to be after this service? Do you know what? I, I reckon a bunch of you would be able to say that. And most of the time you would be right. But the reality is we don't actually know that because we don't know the future. We know very, very little compared to God. We, we, we don't have the, the level of knowledge that God has. And, and yet, do you know what? The, 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 one of the things that God can never do is be surprised. How many of us were surprised in about late February of this year? Okay, you had a bunch of plans. I'm reckoning for March and April and May. How many of those got blown out of the window and you're going, oh, I was not expecting that, you know, for anyone watching this later, we're just in the throes of the coronavirus. So just so you know what's going on, if you're watching this in like 2024, who knows? Um, But God has never had a moment where he went, goodness, didn't see that coming. Like that that has never happened to God. There's never been a single movement of a single atom in all of the universe that God has not fully known about in advance. Like he has never been confused, never been surprised. He knows everything and you do not. So it's foolish to be proud. It's foolish to make yourself the center of your own world whenever you do not know as much as you think you know. Also says this, what is your life? It is a mist, it vanishes it's foolish to be proud because you are temporary and God is eternal. Uh, pr- pride is, is one of those things that, 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 you know, when we put ourselves at, our, at the center of everything, we tend to imagine that we are of greater importance than we are. Uh, what it says here is that your life is like a mist. In, in fact, actually that word is like too strong a word. The word there is like a, a puff of smoke or like your breath on a cold day that just goes and it's gone. Uh, Or or, or like, you know, uh, imagine a a cigarette smoker, you know, their their smoke disappearing into the air. Uh, It's kind of like that, Being, being proud and viewing your life as this massive thing is like viewing that as a massive thing. The reality is that it doesn't matter how long you live for, doesn't matter how how long your legacy lasts, some of us living for legacy, living for, you know, I want to be around after I'm dead through something that I build. Again, not wrong to make the most of your life, but wrong to put your life as the epicenter of all things because it will not last. Like you're 70, 80 years, you just take that, hold that, and then just place that against the light of eternity and see how important you think it is. Like it is barely a blip on the radar of eternity, your life and your length of life. And God in comparison, he has always been, he has been there from the beginning. He is the alpha, the omega, beginning, and the one who was and is and is to come. And you compare yourself to him and you go, well, should I be the center of my own world or should he? It says here that our, our life is like a mist and therefore we should not be proud. Another, another thing that it implies here, it says we should say if the Lord wills it. I, I think when we look at that in a bit of depth, what we see is that actually we don't have that much power to bring about the things that we think we can bring about. I, I, I think we sometimes imagine that like by force of will, I'm going to just drag myself into my future. I'm just going to get there. Like if I just work hard enough and do enough and accomplish enough, and then I'll finally be able to get there. I, I, and yet, the reality is you can't even make, not, not, not only can you not make your future what you want it to be by your force of will, you, you can't even make your present be what you want it to be by your force of will. Like, like your lungs that are pushing oxygen around your body right now, are you doing that by your force of will? Are your blood, your brain, all of those things, is that is that you or is that God who has given that to you? And it's foolish to be proud because we cannot even control our present. And God controls the whole world, past, present, and future. God has never been at capacity. God, God has never been tired. God has never been, you know, in a moment of breakdown and just gone, I just, I need a minute. Like, I need a minute, guys. I just, I need a bath. I need a glass of wine. I need some Katy Perry. I need to recuperate before I go back out there. That has never happened to God. I'll let you guess which one of our household is the one who needs that. Um, Clearly me, by the way. I love Katy Perry. Um, Nonetheless, it is exhausting to live in service of self when you are so small and weak and you have compared to God not, not even an iota of power. And finally it says that this is evil and unfortunately this is something that we have all done. We have all been presumptuous about God. We have all been presumptuous about our ability to bring things about. And we have all laid, laid kind of so much weight at our own feet and so little at God's. And we're all guilty before this. And so pride is foolish. And what, one of the worst things about this, or the, here's the kicker if I'm honest, is that it doesn't matter how hard you try like you're not going to level out this relationship between you and God in yourself. Like, like you're not going to get to a point in life wh- where you're like able to work your way up to being like Him. You, it doesn't matter how much you learn, you'll never be all-knowing. It doesn't, doesn't matter how, how long your legacy lasts. It will never last forever. It doesn't matter how much time you spend in the gym, you will never be as strong as God. And to be honest, it doesn't matter how good you are, you will never be sufficient in and of yourself to meet God's perfect standard. Apostle Paul, uh, one, one of it was one of the greatest religious workers in history, literally just was keeping laws left and right and center and did it all. And then he realizes how that compares to God. In Philippians, he says this, he says, I count all of my works as rubbish. The the word there, Greek word is skubala. It literally means Your Your works, no matter how good they are before God and compared to God's standard, they are a load of skubala. That's what they are. They are rubbish before God and we cannot boast before God. Like God doesn't need us. God is not looking down at this earth, hoping that there's a fast-talking Northern Irishman who flails his arms around way too much. And I know I do it, guys, okay? But he's not looking for someone like that and hoping that that person exists to sort everything out. He is fine. He is in control. He has more than enough. And so pride is wrong. Pride is wrong. It's, it's to put yourself at the center, whatever that looks like for you. It's wrong. It's wrong. And it's wrong, like factually wrong, because the evidence doesn't line up to it. It's morally wrong, because it's wrong to kind of evaluate things in a, in a way which puts extra weight on, on things that are not valuable and, and which, which takes God out of the center. And actually, it's functionally wrong. Like it says, it says earlier on in James, God opposes the pride. Actually, he's quoting Proverbs. He's quoting it from the Septuagint, so it looks a little bit different Proverbs, but he's quoting Proverbs. He says, God opposes the pride, so you will not get where you want to go if you, are pro- if, you are pr- uh, if you are pride. Like, you will not get there. It will not work out the way you think it will happen. And so what solution does the Bible give to our self-esteem issue? What, what does it give? Because we can't go the sort of, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps direction. Like we can't sort of go, I'm going to sort this out because our works are not going to be enough. And we can't just sort of pretend that, well, actually, I'm deep down, if I just ignore the evidence, I, I'm a special snowflake and just don't, you know, I'll whisper sweet nothings in my own ear and that'll sort me out. Because again, that, that falls apart. And neither should we just collapse in, in ourselves. Neither is that the solution where we just sort of fall apart internally and, and, and you know, say ah what was me I'm so awful there's nothing I can do like like that's not what the Bible has for us either. The issue with all of those things is that it puts ourselves at the center. The issue with all of those things is that it looks at us and says I am deeply important to me and my self-worth is based on me and it's all about me. And those things, whatever that manifests as, it's like two sides of the same coin. It's pride, whether it's high self-esteem, low self-esteem, whatever it is, if it's based on you, the issue with self-esteem is the self bit. The issue or challenge with self-esteem is that it always contains and it always talks about and puts at the center us. It talks about us. And so the Bible's solution to our issue of self-esteem would be this find your self-worth in something other than yourself. Find your self-worth in something that is not you. Now let me tell you how we can do that because this is where what seems to be quite a heavy message so far is going to get really good. So just track with me for a couple of minutes. You see, the same God, here's how we get our self-image right. The same God, who is so good and so holy and so powerful and is is so above us and is so supreme, that same God is so unbelievably loving. That that same God is so profoundly kind. That same God who, who needs nothing from us decides, you know what, I want to give those people everything. That same God who who doesn't need to be served by our hands decides to serve us with his hands in the person of Jesus. And he says, he looks at us in in our weakness and in our pride and in our sin and in our brokenness and in all of it. And he says, I want to love them anyway. I want to give myself for them anyway. I want to serve them anyway. I want to delight in them anyway. I want to die for them anyway. And I'm going to rise again for them anyway. Like that is what God does. He doesn't just sort of leave us in that state. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue those people. And it's not because of who they are, it's in spite of who they are, and it is because of who I am. That is the message of Christianity, and that is the solution to this pride issue. And, and here's one of the amazing things, like this isn't a cover-up. Like, like at no point is this going, yeah, yeah, yeah no, you're actually fine, like don't worry about it, it's all good. Actually, this is like an expose, like, like, like Jesus dying on the cross, one of the things that Jesus is saying on the cross, and hear this right, but do hear it, is that Jamie Bambrick is a failure. Like Jamie Bambrick could not work his own salvation. Jamie Bambrick has sinned. Jamie Bambrick has fallen short. Jamie Bambrick is not enough. And so I have to come and do this for him. Like I have to give myself for him. But at the same time as it's saying that, what it's also saying is, and I love him anyway. I care for him anyway. I delight in him anyway. That's what the cross is saying. It, it reveals in this one marvelous moment. It reveals both our, like our wickedness and our worth. It shows us, look, you really are broken and you really are messed up and you really are sinful, but you really are loved. You really are valued. And it's not because of some innate, like you're just a special whatever. It's not that. What it is is that God has chosen to love you. And that's where your worth comes from. And that's where pride disappears. And that's where humility comes in. There's something marvelous about this message. It just takes the pressure off. Because I'm able to look at myself, and I'm able to, to acknowledge every bad thing about me and then some. I, I, I can just remove the mask. I can just take it off because he already knows, and it doesn't affect my worth, and he loves me anyway. Like like the gospel brings us, it allows us to go to the lowest low of ourselves. It allows us to see ourselves at our worst and acknowledge it, not deny it, not cover it up, but, but, but just bring it to him. It gives us the permission to do that. And it says that you're loved anyway. And, and at the same time, it, it takes us to a higher high than anything else because what it does is it takes us as kind of empty vessels and these kind of you know, beings who, who are not what we should be. And, and from heaven itself, God pours out immense, unstoppable, ridiculous, unfathomable love. Like it just says, I love these people. I'm going to give them everything. I, I, I'm going to make them co-heirs with Christ. I'm going to make them sons of God. I'm going to give them my spirit. I'm going to you know, pour out loving kindness and tender mercies. I'm going to satisfy their mouth with good things. It's all of this awesome stuff in scripture and it's better than anything else. And yet it is in light of the fact that we are not what we should be. And and so scripture and the gospel, do you know what it actually does? It it makes demands that no self-help book ever could, but it also gives promises that no self-help book ever could. You know, it says things like, you know, you hear about self-care. Scripture says Uh, self-denial. You know, you hear about, you know, looking out for number one. Scripture says humble yourself under the only number one who exists. But at the same time, what it says is, do you know what? Don't just become a better you, become a new creation. Don't, don't just kind of you know, uh, seek for a better position in life. Be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is giving us this opportunity, this glorious opportunity to, to come to God and to, to be lifted up, not by ourselves, not by our bootstraps and not by who we are, but by him. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it fixes our self-image. If we want to fix our self-image problem, it comes to this. You have to stop finding it in yourself. You've got to find it in Jesus. You have to find it in Jesus. The Bible does not talk about self-image. The Bible does talk about the image and likeness of Christ. This fixes us because it stops it being found in ourselves. Timothy Keller says this, this is what it does for us. The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to a deep humility and a deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone and I have, yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. This wonderful truth about God's care for us in spite of us and because of him, it breeds in us a humble confidence. It tells us, you know what? It doesn't matter how bad you are or how bad you have been. Like you are loved anyway. You are cared for Anyway. And when you find out new things about yourself that you didn't know and that you don't like, it's okay because Jesus has already known and he has loved you anyway and he has cared for you anyway and he has done enough. Sorry, if the devil comes against you and he says, do you know what? You are a failure. You go, yeah, I have failed even more than you know, but Jesus never fails. And if he calls you weak, you go, I am weaker than even you know, but Jesus is strong. Do you know what? This is a beautiful, beautiful truth for us today. The Christian solution to the self-esteem problem is to start esteeming Jesus who loved us while we were yet sinners. And we put it in Tozer's words, the victorious Christian neither exalts nor downgrades himself. His interests have shifted from self to Christ. I want to give us an invitation. Uh, an invitation today as we close To humble ourselves. Well, that means, it doesn't matter if you kind of always thought you were the best thing since sliced bread or you're the worst creature to ever walk the planet. To humble yourself is to take whatever you are and whatever you think you are and give it to Jesus. Give all of yourself to Jesus. Give yourself completely to Jesus. Every ounce of your being, you give it to Jesus because Jesus is greater than your worst and he is greater than your best and your worth can be found in him. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of those who are listening right now and all of those wherever they are, if they are at home or they're in the prisons or Lord, they are watching this on their phone as they're out uh, around doing life And Lord, we we thank you that you love us. And Lord, that you cause us to be humble, but you exalt the humble. Lord, you lift up the humble. And Lord, you do that because of Jesus. Thank you that our worth can be found there. Thank you that our, our joy can be found there. Thank you that our image can be found there. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name.